Well, if you've got a Bible, open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're in a series of messages entitled, Armed for Battle, taking a look at the armor of God and spiritual warfare. We've been working our way through Ephesians chapter 6 and seeing these pieces of armor that Paul lays out for us that God has provided for us in the midst of this battle that we find ourselves in. This morning, we're going to step out of Ephesians 6 and into 2 Corinthians chapter 10 to take a look at this one text here before we wrap up the series and take a look at prayer next week in Ephesians 6. But this morning, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll read verses 3 to 5 together. If you have a copy of the Scriptures in front of you, follow along. If not... It's on the screen behind me as we read today. Beginning in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is God's Word. Now, uh, I don't know if you're a history fan. I, I t- t- tend to enjoy history. I always did through school, did well in his- history classes in school. And the older I get, my wife thinks I'm turning more and more into my father uh, because I like to watch the History Channel. Um, I like to watch uh, them dig old stuff out of the earth, right? And so one of the things that you can find on the History Channel is histories you know, of all the wars that have been fought and all different... Um, uh, treasures that have been buried and, and are being, being searched for. But one of the things I, I, I like to see on the History Channel is the, 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 the documentaries they do on these old castles or these old fortresses or these old forts. I love kind of that, that type of history. And I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but uh, there is one of the most famous fortresses, one of the most famous forts in all of the world is in the land of Israel. It's called Masada. And Masada uh, was kind of the, the last stand of the Jewish people against the Roman army as they came in to overthrow and completely occupy the land of Palestine. Masada was situated on this rocky hillside or plateau in southern Israel near the edge of the Judean desert. And you, this, it was a fortress. And the siege that the Roman army made against it, it took them a year before they could take Masada. All right, they had to build siege ramps that would go up some 400 feet from the base of the plateau up to the top of the plateau and then begin to wheel their implements and their troops up those siege ramps. Right, once they made it to the top, they would roll the siege engines and batter Masada's walls eventually until they fell. It took them over 12 months in order to cause Masada to come to a fall. And whenever they went in, they found that nearly all of the people inside the walls of the fortress were dead. They'd taken their own lives. They found a handful of women and children who remained. But Masada is one of the most famous fortresses in all the world. There are fortresses and castles and forts that litter the landscape of Europe. And there are forts that litter the old ruins of forts here in the Americas from the Revolutionary War or from the Civil War. And just as there are these, polit- these, these physical and military fortresses or forts, there are also, listen church, there are spiritual and mental fortresses in our lives as well. And the Bible, what the Bible calls those is strongholds. Strongholds. 
It's what you see the Apostle Paul call it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And in our battle, which is not fought against flesh and blood, if you remember the first message of this series, if you weren't here, go back and listen to it. It's called The Battle is Real. And although we don't see it visibly, physically, before our eyes, oftentimes there is a real war that is being waged, a real battle that is being fought every single day in our lives as Christians. Where the enemy comes against us and he would seek to establish footholds in our lives. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, in relationships, put those things to rest quickly so bitterness doesn't fester and you don't give a foothold to the devil. Because wherever the devil gets a foothold in your life, it can turn into a stronghold. And strongholds in the Scriptures are one of the ways that the enemy would come against us. He would seek to attack us. So this morning, what I want us to do is spend some time thinking about what strongholds are, how they manifest themselves in our lives, what their results are, and how do we destroy them. So if I had to title this text this morning, I would call it Destroying Strongholds. But first things first, what is a stronghold? Listen, church, strongholds are mental fortresses that resist the will and word of God. It's what a stronghold is. It's a mental fortress that resists the will and the word of God. It's a mental fortress. The word Paul uses in the text is translated strongholds. It literally meant this. It meant a castle. It meant a fort. It meant a fortress. But figuratively, it came to mean this. It came to mean anything upon which you depend or rely. Anything that you would place trust in. Anything that you would build your life on. It's a stronghold. Things that you would seek protection from or provision from. And so it's things that are dug in deep. And there's a particular mindset or set of values or the process of thought, the way that you analyze the life that's in front of you. It's a mental fortress. And it's stubborn. right? It resists God's will. It resists God's Word. And so whenever the Word of God comes, you have these automatic embedded defense mechanisms that would respond to it. You ever experienced that before in your life? Whenever you're reading through the Scriptures and you see something that would rise off the page and bring conviction, or you're listening to a sermon and the Spirit is tapping on your heart, but all of a sudden in the back of your mind there's like a, a switch that's flipped and there's an automatic, yeah, but. Right? Yeah, but. That's a stronghold. It's a thought process, a mindset, set of values that stubbornly resist the will and the word of God. See, let me show you. I've told you that, but I had not shown it to you from the text. You shouldn't believe me yet. All right. So listen, in verse four, Paul tells the Corinthians that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Then in verse 5, see this, Paul draws a straight line, a solid line between destroying spiritual strongholds and tearing down and destroying arguments and opinions and taking thoughts captive. In other words, in Paul's mind, strongholds that our weapons are divinely powered to destroy are ways of thinking, they're embedded opinions, they're value systems that we've embraced or adopted or that are held over from our pre-Christian days. They are entrenched arguments, embedded thoughts, established in deep-seated opinions that we see as needed and necessary and upon which we rely to react and respond to life as it comes at us. So we're dependent upon these things. They're so deeply ingrained that we, and we may not even see them initially. 
A stronghold, listen, church, is not so much something we tend to think of strongholds as, as if the devil's got a hold of us in some area. But I want to tell you something. A stronghold is not something that has a hold of you, but something that you have a hold of and you won't let go. That's where that yeah, but comes from, because you won't let go of that way of seeing life. It's a stubborn way of thinking. If the enemy, I told you this before a few messages ago, but if the enemy gets your mind, he gets you. He gets you. If he gets your thinking, he gets you. So a stronghold is anything on which you depend, on which you lean, or upon which you rely. Anything you think will protect you, like a fortress. Anything you will think will provide for you, think it will bring you pleasure. You have these ingrained defense mechanisms in your life. Embedded thoughts, established and deep-seated opinions what a stronghold is but what kind are there i want to tell you this one i think there's at least three kinds of strongholds in our life there's personal familial and cultural there's personal ways of thinking there's familial ways of thinking and there's cultural ways of thinking that are strongholds for us. There are ways of thinking, entrenched arguments, embedded thoughts, established and deep-seated opinions that are unique to you as an individual, that are shared by your family members because of the way that you were brought up, or that are pervasive in larger cultures because of the prevailing winds that shift and turn the tide. So let's think about these three types of strongholds. Personal, right? familial, and cultural. First of all, personal. What are some personal strongholds, ways of thinking, mindsets, or value systems? Listen, for some of us, some of us have a stronghold in the area, a mindset around tying our worth to our work. Tying your worth to your work. Listen, Eric Mason, who's a pastor over in Philadelphia, I love the way he he defines strongholds. He says, stronghold is a mindset, value system, or thought process that hinders your growth. It stunts your growth. Your, your capacity to mature in Christ. And I want to tell you something, that tying your worth to your work is a stronghold that will keep you stunted spiritually. Because it will make you believe that your value is connected to your performance. And the way that you perform, the way that you engage in your work, is ultimately determinative of your worth. And listen, just so you don't think that uh, as a business person, you're the only one who struggles with that. I want to tell you that that's a, been a stronghold historically in my own life. It's a way of thinking that's been so deeply ingrained in me that my success in ministry, my success as a preacher or as a pastor, as someone who's available, someone who's dependable, someone who is there with the right words at the right time, who can put salve on any wound, can bind them all, all of that has been percolating in the back of my mind all of my ministry career, some 20 years. Because there's so much ingrained in me, entrenched in me, that believes that my worth is tied to my work. That's a personal stronghold. You may not struggle with it. I know I do. I know I do. Another personal stronghold in life might be running up debt to pacify your pain. Listen, all of us have hurt in our lives. All of us have experienced heartache. All of us know what it is to ache and to have pain. But listen, some of us have mechanisms for coping with pain that are strongholds. They're ways of thinking. They think, if I can just, I can buy my way out of this hurt. <laughs> right? I can shop my way out of this heartache. 
And then if I, if I just, if I go out today and I make a purchase, it makes, it's like dopamine, right? It gets released in my system and I get, I feel good. And I feel good until the newness of that purchase wears off and I go out and buy something else. And then I feel good again until the, that, that high wears off. And I go out and, because we're seeking to pacify our pain. Seeking to medicate our heartaches, oftentimes through purchasing goods and possessions. And listen, at the end of the day, whenever our credit card balances rise and higher and higher and higher and higher, and we end up in mountains of unsecured debt, that's a stronghold. It's a way of thinking. Right? Tony Evans, I love the way he talks about this. He says, a stronghold is a mindset that is viewed as an unchangeable in our minds. It's a pattern of unrighteousness that holds you hostage outside the will of God. Strongholds result from something invisible in the spiritual realm cooperating with something visible in the physical realm, keeping a person trapped in an addiction or a negative life pattern. Overcoming a stronghold in the physical realm always involves a spiritual solution because strongholds always have a spiritual cause. There's always some lie, some distorted way of thinking, some distorted and manipulated value system that's operating under the surface invisibly that pushes us physically and visibly to do things. Like be addicted to spending or addicted to substances or addicted to promiscuity or images across our computer. Whatever it is, there's something underneath that's telling us you can pacify your pain with this. It's a stronghold. Those are personal what about familial strongholds? So there are certain strongholds that are existed within families. Sometimes because of the way that we were raised or even within church families. Right? For instance, what Paul's dealing with here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he's dealing with, he's having to defend his ministry and his apostolic authority to people who are judging everything that he does according to the flesh. In other words, Paul wasn't eloquent enough. Paul wasn't persuasive enough. He didn't come with all kinds of flowery language. He just showed up with the gospel and started preaching. Right? And that, for the Corinthians, whose highest value, right, value system was eloquence and polished philosophy and wisdom. Right? Paul, this simple guy with this simple message, They were critical of Paul because they were evaluating him in accordance with the flesh. And listen, there are some families in which that same evaluation has been entrenched for years. And there are some churches in which that evaluation gets entrenched as well. In the same way that it did in Corinth. So we evaluate everyone in accordance with the flesh. And what it leads to ultimately many times is a sense of partiality. Those who appear to have everything together, right, are treated one way, and those who appear to have everything falling apart are treated another. That's a stronghold. That's a stronghold, church. Or it might be a critical and judgmental spirit toward everyone who disagrees with you. See, there are some families, listen, there are some families and some churches in which there is not the freedom and flexibility. Like everything in that family is a closed-handed issue. Everything. There is nothing in the open hand that we can discuss and debate and disagree over and still be a part of the family. But everything's a closed-handed issue. And so it ends up creating division and all kinds of strife within families, all kinds of strife within churches, because everything's in the closed hand. 
It's a way of thinking. It says, if you disagree with me, I'm critical and judgmental of you. I cut you off out of my life, right? I got the ministry of cutoff, okay? Like, that's my spiritual gift. I just cut people out of my life that disagree with me, right? That's a stronghold. It's a way of thinking, not being pushed by someone who has differing opinions around open-handed issues. It can be familial strongholds. There's cultural strongholds as well. Listen, one of the cultural strongholds that's pervasive within our, whatever you want to call it, modern, postmodern culture, is that human flourishing comes through sexual fulfillment. That human flourishing, let me say that, human flourishing comes through sexual fulfillment. In other words, there is the belief, there's the mindset, there's the thought process, a deep-seated opinion that I cannot be fully human unless I give expression to my sexual desires. Regardless of how those may be formed within me. That if I've, I cannot be fully human, I cannot flourish as a human being unless I give full expression to every desire of my heart. Which has led our culture to the place that it is with regards to human sexuality. It's a, strong, it's a cultural stronghold, pervasive pattern of thought that cannot separate, right? Cannot separate what it means to be human from the expression of our sexual desires. It's a cultural stronghold. There are other cultural strongholds like embedded ethnic prejudice. Listen, I, I know some of you might get real sensitive around this topic. But what I, what I want to say is this, listen, it is undeniable when you look back at the history of our nation that what, was, what took 350 years to sow and was watered and irrigated and tended is not going to be uprooted in 60. There is still embedded ethnic prejudice and partiality within our larger culture. And within our own individual hearts that needs to be exposed. That's a stronghold, a way of thinking about other people on the basis of their ethnicity, on the basis of the color of their skin, how much melanin they have. Listen, I, I, I'm going to press on this just for a moment. Because there's many of us who think, well, I, I, that's not me. I don't have that. And maybe you don't. Praise God. Right? Praise God. But let me ask you a simple question. I've got two kids. I've got a son who has turned 13. So he's getting close to as tall as I am. Right? That's what that means. And then I've got a daughter who is nine. And many of you have young children in the room as well. Let me, let me ask you a question whenever your kids reach dating age. Whatever age you think that might be. 27. Right? When they reach dating age. Or marrying age. They come home from college. And they bring, they're bringing home this young man or this young woman you have never met. You've got ideas in your mind about what this young man or young woman is going to look like. Let me ask you a question. Would... Would we rather, 
I'm, I'm asking this to myself as well. Would I rather my son or my daughter bring home a nominal, every once in a while church attending, kind of gives lip service to the Bible, white young man or young woman, or a young man or young woman who loves Jesus with all their hearts, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all, who's not perfect, but is deeply in the Word, is a man or a woman of prayer, serves the local church, who happens to be black, or a skin color other than the one that you or your child possesses. Which would we rather? I hope I know what the answer for myself would be, and I hope I know what it would be for you. But if you think that there's not any of that there, there's some hard, soul-searching questions you may need to wrestle with to see if there's any of that cultural stronghold that's still held over in your own life. Another cultural stronghold might be deeply established political identities. Deeply established political identities, wetting your conscience to the state. Right? And let me just be real clear on this. I just want to say that neither a Trump-Pence four more years or a Biden-Harris four years is going to hold you fast. It's not going to do it, church. It's not going to provide the security that they promised to you from their platforms. None of them can. A Republican or Democratic Senate will not hold you fast. They will not keep you secure. There is one who can do that. And my concern is that in a nation where we have enjoyed many freedoms for many years, that if things do buckle down on us, that we would sell our conscience to the candidate who promises to take things easy on us. It's my concern. That we would culturally, the stronghold of an embedded political ideology or political party or political platform would trump obedience to God's Word. So there's personal strongholds, there's familial strongholds, and there are cultural strongholds. Ways of thinking, mindsets, value systems that are like f- mental fortresses that resist the will and the Word of God. And here's what they do in our lives. Okay? Strongholds, they create dysfunctional norms. They create dysfunctional norms. See, when we're so committed to faulty and futile ways of thinking, these deep-seated and sinful opinions, entrenched judgments that resist God's word and will, and we don't deal with those things, they create new norms in our lives which are dysfunctional. Right? Let me see if I can illustrate it to you this way. And listen, this is not, this is not a knock on people who struggle with weight. Okay? So please... Do not think I'm making a joke about this. I'm not trying to be funny. But there is a television series called My 600-Pound Life. Some of you may be familiar with it. may have seen episodes of it. But it chronicles the lives of these individuals who some of them have not been out of their bedroom in years. Right? And so they've, they've had plumbing installed in their bedroom. They've had stovetops and cooktops installed in their bedroom so they can cook there. They can relieve themselves there. They can be, take sponge baths in their bed because they're so obese and overweight that they can't get out of their house, many of them. Right? And so they've, they've modified their living arrangements to accommodate their situation. 
Or whenever they go, they order out for fast food, right? They're getting like seven sandwiches from Chick-fil-A and four fries and washing it down with a two-liter soda. And that's become the norm for them. Family has adjusted everything to that. And so they see that as the new normal in their lives, which other people looking at that go, man, that's, there's some dysfunction there. That's dysfunctional. Like you allow that to dictate your life and what you're able to do and who you're able to be. Right? It's dysfunctional norms that it creates. And listen, this is what strongholds do in our lives. Over the time, that dysfunction becomes normalized and everybody adjusts to that new norm and they don't see anything wrong with it. They don't see anything out of place. It's just the way things are. There's a beautiful illustration of this in Judges chapter 6. If you're not familiar with the book of Judges, go read it. Right? The refrain in, in the book of Judges is over and over again. And then Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king. There was no authority. There was no one that they were answering to or submitting to. But in Judges chapter 6, there's a story of Gideon. I want to read it to you. And I want you to consider how they adjusted to this stronghold. In Judges chapter 6, Beginning in verse 1, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you want to turn there, you can. I'll read it to you. It says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of, the Midi- of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midians and Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and they would devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, and which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now stop right there. Gideon is in a winepress beating out wheat. He's down in the vat. Okay, that was made for stomping out the grapes whenever they came in from the harvest. That's where he is beating out the wheat. He's not up on the hill where the breeze could take the grain, the, 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 the chaff and blow it away as the grain fell, but he's hiding down in the wine press because he's afraid of the Midianites. You see the new norm? <laughs> now, let's keep going. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt 
But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I serve Israel? Save Israel. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. The angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abazarites. Now listen, following this, I could read you more from Judges 6, but following all this interaction with the angel of the Lord as he finds Gideon using something that was made for one purpose for another purpose. That's a clear indication it might be a stronghold in your life. Right? Whenever you adjusted to this new norm, instead of dealing with the root cause, the angel of the Lord speaks to him, and then God tells Gideon, go back to where all this started. And where does he send him? He sends him further on, Judges 6, back to his father's house. He says, go back to your daddy's house, right, and tear down the altars. The altars to Asherah and the altars to Baal, to these false gods. Go tear down these altars and construct a firm, solid altar there where I would be worshipped. You see, whenever there's strongholds in your life, you've got to go back to the place where they began. Where these deep-seated ways of thinking were first introduced and begin to root those things out. He's got to go back to where it all began. Because what gave the devil a foothold had turned into a stronghold and needed to be torn down. And for some of us, that's maybe where we are this morning. Maybe there are strongholds in our lives, ways of thinking that we've always assumed were normal because we've never known anything other than that. And whenever the Scriptures come and confront those things, we have, yeah, but. But you don't know what happened. Right? All all the uh, uh, responses. And I wonder if there are altars in our own lives, areas in which we have been deceived by lies that need to be uprooted this morning for us. So that we wouldn't, we no longer, as, as Eric Mason speaks of this, he calls it functional dysfunction. So we no longer be functionally dysfunctional. Because we learn to function in dysfunctional ways. Because of that way of thinking in our lives. That we would do away with these dysfunctional norms. 
And I wonder if there are people here today, and I wonder if there are people who are online today with us who would say, you know what, I'm tired of the dysfunctionality that this stronghold in my life, this personal stronghold, or this familial stronghold, or this cultural stronghold has created. I'm tired of it. Right? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired because of these strongholds. Of, the, of the, uh, what old preachers, old preachers used to call the stinking thinking, right? Of the ways, ways of thinking in my life that have produced this shame and has produced guilt, that has produced bondage. I'm ready to be cleansed and free of that. So how do we destroy these things? How do we destroy them? Listen, what the Scriptures would tell us, what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, and we've seen it already, and I'll say it to you again, is this. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. See, in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says that the weapons of our warfare have divine power to destroy strongholds. You know what that means? That means the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, they're all divinely powered for the destruction of strongholds in our lives. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 10-13, to twice put on the whole armor of God. And he says it again, put on the whole armor of God. He doesn't say take up one piece this day and then a couple months later take out this piece. But every day as you get dressed, you're putting on the whole armor of God. Now listen, what this means, church, is that they're divinely powered. It means they're not powered by you. They're not powered by me. And a part of what that means is that spiritual warfare, in spiritual warfare, you aren't coming against the devil. Right? There's, some, there's people who came from those kind of traditions where, devil, I come against you, right? And you tell, devil, you tell me where the spirit of depression is and where it's located. Go in and we can exercise that thing. Listen, that is not divinely powered. That is trusting in your own power, in your own words. It's like, it's like a Christianized incantation. It's not what, that's not at all what spiritual warfare is like. Right? It's not decreeing and declaring things to be because only God is able to decree things to be. Only God is able to declare things that are to be. But rather, they're divinely powered, not powered by us. So that in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the divine weaponry that we have been situated and suited with are functional for the tearing down of personal, familial, and cultural strongholds in our lives. They're powerful for destroying thoughts. They're powerful for going against arguments. They are powerful for for destroying all the yeah buts in the back of your mind. So let's consider how they're powerful for that. Put on the whole armor, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. We said the belt of truth. If you you missed the series, go back and listen to the messages. I can't preach all of it today. I just want to give you a flyover. But the belt of truth is fastened around the waist to which every other piece of armor was connected. Because truth in your life holds everything together and it protects you from the strongholds of lies and dysfunction. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness is divinely powered to protect our heart from the strongholds of accusation. Because some of us, we still hear the words of our parents or we still hear the words of that teacher or we still hear the words of the enemy whispering in our minds, you will never amount to anything. You will never make it anywhere. 
Don't you remember all the things that you did? The breastplate of righteousness is divinely powered to protect you from those strongholds of accusation, the ways of thinking that make you think that you're not good enough. That God would never love you. The breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness, divinely powered to protect us from faulty thinking that assumes that God has abandoned us in the midst of all of the mess of life. When we, when we preached on the shoes of readiness, we talked about that, how the gospel makes us ready to face life. Because the gospel reminds us that God loves us in the midst of all of our sin, in the midst of all of our rebellion, in the midst of all the mess of life, either that we created for ourselves or that was created by someone else's sin, because God has dealt with it through His Son. And that gives us peace and builds us in wholeness. Gives us a reality internally where it puts us back together into the image of Christ. It gives us a vertical peace with God. And it gives us the opportunity to have horizontal peace with our brothers and sisters, other men and women. The shield of faith is divinely powered to extinguish all the arrows and to keep your life from burning to the ground as Satan would seek to encapsulate you in strongholds of temptation. The helmet of salvation is divinely powered to protect us from being locked in the fortress of our past or our present because the helmet of the hope of salvation gives us a glorious hope for the future. It's divinely powered. The sword of the Spirit is divinely powered to cut stuff out of us that shouldn't be in us and to send Satan running whenever we pull it out of its sheath and the Spirit uses it in our lives to run him through. I told you last week, the Bible never says run from the devil. It says resist him and he'll run from you. And we resist him with the sword of the Spirit. So, what do you, so you take up and put on all of these things. To tear down the strongholds that have resulted in these patterns of living because of patterns of thinking. So if you missed any of those messages, go back and listen to them because each of these weapons is divinely powered for that purpose, church. Now listen, if you're here today, you're like all this talk about, about spiritual warfare and all this talk about uh, the, 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 the weapons that God has given us, it's foreign to me. Maybe it's because you've never placed your confidence and your faith in God. Maybe because you've never crossed the line of faith. Listen, if there's strongholds in your life, here's what I don't, what you don't need to go out of here doing this morning is going, well, I just need to buck up, right? I just need to muster up some more willpower. But what you need to go out of here this morning thinking is this. Where in my life do I need to repent? And where in my life do I place my confidence in Jesus? And if you've never done that, if you've never done that, there is no better time than now to do it. Listen, there's going to be strongholds in your life. You, 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 are, you don't have the resources apart from the Spirit of God through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer and you're online, if you're not a believer and you're in this room and you have never repented of sin and trusted in Jesus, these pieces of armor don't belong to you. You don't have access to them. And so the first step is to turn from placing your confidence in yourself 
and your ability to figure things out and your ability to process through all the patterns of thinking in your life and to place your faith and trust in Jesus, yield to Him, submit to Him, turn from thinking that your ways must be correct and right and thinking that His ways, His ways are perfect His ways are pure. His ways are unfathomable to our minds. But as we submit to them and yield to them, we begin to find ourselves experiencing freedom from whatever strongholds we've experienced throughout our lives. And the first step for some of us is repentance and faith. Trusting in Christ for the first time. And for others this morning, your response today If you're a Christian in the room, your response, you know what? It's eerily similar. It's called repentance and faith. Because repentance and faith are not a one-time occasion. Because there are patterns of thinking that you need to turn from and ways of thinking that you need to turn to that are revealed in the Word. And putting on all the armor of God. To find those strongholds being destroyed one by one by one by one in your life, progressively, day by day. And I hope, I hope, I, I don't know about you, there are some things in my life I'm ready to be free from. And I hope you are too. And I want you to know that you can be in Christ with the armor that He wore for you before we ever gave it to you to wear. I'm going to pray for us this morning that God will be gracious to us and help us see victory and freedom as strongholds are crushed and destroyed in our lives. These mental fortresses are overthrown. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we know, we know that there are areas in all of our lives in which we've been held captive And Father, for some who are not Christians, God, they have not the resources to deal. Father, counseling will be helpful. But Father, ultimately, if there are addictions, if there are strongholds in their life, they ultimately come from a spiritual source. So Father, help them. Help us. As we navigate those patterns of thinking and those ways of living that are so deeply entrenched in our lives, so deeply entrenched in our family, so deeply entrenched in our culture. That, Father, that we would not settle for some mediocre expression of Christianity. We would not be deceived into thinking that there ought not be progress and victory over sin in our lives. But we, on the other side, we ought not be deceived into thinking that we will reach sinless perfection in this life. But that we will make progress. That one day when our hope is fully realized, God, that sin will be done away with and we'll be fully and finally free, but we want to experience measures and more measures of freedom today. As we walk with your Son, by the power of your Spirit, I pray there'd be people this morning who would say, I want to be free. So they would stop trusting in 
faulty and futile ways of thinking to hold them fast, to hold them stable, to hold them secure. But they would look to you and you alone. For those who need to repent of sin and place their confidence in Christ for the very first time, God, I pray you help them to see that they can be free no other way. That your spirit would do what only your spirit can do and it would take dead, dry, brittle bones and say, live. And they would come to life. Would you be gracious to save? And would you be gracious to sanctify? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.